0: As I was uh, preparing for it, it became really apparent that um, there's a film that's just coming out this week or that came out perhaps on Thursday, I think, uh, either this Thursday or last Thursday, but um, that kind of has some relevance here. So I'm going to just play you the trailer before I get talking. Women should not exercise judgment in political affairs. If we allow women to vote, it will mean the loss of social structure. (laughs) <laughs> you work at the laundry? Part-time from when I was seven, full-time from when I was 12. We meet Mondays and Thursdays if you're interested. You a suffragette, Mrs. Elled. I consider myself more of a soldier. As Mrs. Pankhurst says, it's deeds, not words, that will get us the vote. We've identified weaknesses in their ranks. We're hoping one of them will break. They're saying she's to speak. This is a deliberate escalation. This has to stop. For 50 years, we have labored peacefully to secure the vote for women. We've been ridiculed, battered, and ignored. Punish those responsible, whatever way you can. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mama! All my life, I've done what men told me. Well, I can't have that anymore. Took my love, took it down. I incite the women in Britain to rebellion. Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle all the seasons of my life? We break windows, we burn things. Because war's the only language men listen to. Well, I've been afraid of changing There's nothing left but to stop you. We're in every home. we're after the human race, you can't stop us but all. time makes you bolder even cheaper. You might lose your life before this is over. And I'm getting older too We will win. I take my love, take it down Never surrender. Never give up the fight. <laughs> Some of you are going, can we just watch the film? <laughs> Looks like it's going to be a good film. What strikes me is kind of interesting is that just 100 years ago, not that long ago, there was kind of like a society where half the society said we wouldn't possibly trust the other half, to have a sensible voice in government. Where half the population said about the other half, well, because of the the gender that you're born with or into, you're somehow less. Where men looked at women and went, well, there's no way we could give you the responsibility of a vote. And where women had to fight and starve themselves and kill themselves to try and get men to listen to themselves, really. And you kind of watch it now and you think, how ridiculous, how ridiculous. But it was only 100 years ago. For some of you, it was your grandparents and your parents who would have lived through that who would have been brought up, Pat's parents and people of Pat's generation, brought up with just like the expectation, well, if you're a woman, you're somehow lesser. And and it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because these would be people who would be reading the Bible and worshipping and doing mission, and yet this massive, massive blind spot Because it's like, well, that's just the way things are. It's our culture. And it's kind of, and they would have had, you know, if you'd have talked to men on the whole, they wouldn't have been brutes. On the whole, they would have had reasons. All their reasons would have been wrong, but they would have had reasons. And I suppose it it leaves us with that sort of, when you bring it into that sort of conversation, it becomes uneasy. It becomes an easy, if you're a man. Because it's like, well, what was my, what was my great-grandfather thinking? Who I knew, by the way. Who's not just like a a, a name on a chart. What was he thinking when that sort of thing happened? Well, it felt appropriate that we would look at it. When we're looking at this Interestingly, this much more ancient text than 100 years ago, a text that goes back way, way, way back, sort of probably uh, at least 4,000 years the stories would have been beginning to be told, but probably earlier than that too, into the earliest uh, pages of the Bible where you begin to get a different story. Look at the shape of the chapter I read. So if you sort of, if you look at sometimes when you're reading a chapter, if you try and find what the main thought is and then what the sort of the, the side thought is. Because if actually if you, that helps you get the sense of what's the whole about. So it begins, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And then there's sort of like more detail. The Lord God formed a man. And the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he'd formed. So the first thing you're sort of clearly meant to see is that God created the whole of the universe. But actually, the story goes, there's a, there's a little garden that's over here, kind of like a royal palace garden, where God's placed the man. And the purpose of it? God's delegated his work to him. He's put him in charge in, in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So God creates all, but then he delegates his responsibilities to Adam. And at this point, to men or to a man. And the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, too often, I think, when we read this chapter or when this chapter's read, we, we narrow it down to, we, we hear that it's not good for the man to be alone and we think, oh, no, because Adam's really lonely. And in fact, he's, his heart's breaking because he really he's really one. He's a woman. And in a sense, that's not what's going on in this chapter at all. Why does Adam need a helper? Because Adam can't do the task that he's asked to by God for the whole of creation. Adam can't care for the creation without someone else and not just it's kind of and I'm I'm, I've thought a lot about this sermon I mean I'm not suggesting that the other ones I don't but this one I've kind of thought because this is like a minefield you know what I mean I would have preferred it if the church had been switched around and the door would have been nearer so I could get out quicker but it's kind of like it explicitly says you know that the other animals are not enough to help Adam with the task he has. And it's the task that Adam needs help with. And the, the helper, therefore, is not another person you can delegate to. That word helper, uh, I'm not going to do any more on this, but except to say this that normally that word helper is only used of God in the Old Testament. So it's not a sort of like a, oh, good, I've got, some, I've got a PA or a secretary, you know, I've got a gopher. Quite the opposite. The helper is someone that you would put all your weight on because actually they'll, they'll not let you down. And that's the sort of the feel of that word helper. So dog might be your man's best friend, but it ain't going to help you with creation. Horses might get you there quick, but it's not enough to get you in creation. An ox might do the work of power, but it's not enough for you to do the work of looking after this creation. And so what does God do? God makes a woman. In order that humanity now can care for the whole of creation. In other words, the reason man and woman are formed are not primarily so you can get married. The reason man and woman are formed is because it's only in the difference that we have as well as the remarkable similarity that we can work together on God's project, which is the whole of the world. And the man says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman, she was taken out of man. Now we know that when we get to chapter 3, it all gets messed up. The sin enters the world, the relationships get messed up, and... One of the things that gets messed up, particularly, is the relationship, it says, between the woman and the man. In fact, to Eve, God says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With pain, you'll give birth to Adam, Uh, to children, rather. I don't know what I'm thinking about (laughs) you. That would be odd, wouldn't it? It would be odd. It would be a little bit odd. Anyhow, you kind of, but bless you for listening. And here's the thing, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. Now, I know there's some Christian context where that is not seen as a curse. That's like the way it should be. But actually, in this context, this is is bad news, ladies. That what happens to sin is, it says here, now, it's not the full story, but when sin gets hold... This little text says, you want it to be good, but the man wants to exercise rulership, governing, dominance. I'm not gonna get all melodramatic, but is it any surprise that when When men do horrible things to women, it normally involves rape. Is it any surprise when armies want to dominate another country, the armies go on the rampage and rape the women of the country that they're going to? It's sin. It's dominance. It's overpowering. And we know it's all messed up. And that's how the Bible begins. But in the same scriptures, then, you've got like this development of what seems to happen about like patriarchy where people like Abraham, brilliant, God blessed, used to, to bless the whole earth. But then Abraham, such a rubbish husband, at least twice he's frightened by and intimidated by another ruler. So Abraham twice says, oh, by the way, this woman, Sarah, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Why? If you want her. And yet there's times when God subverts the expectations, even of his own people. And you get these women, and many more, by the way, it's just that I couldn't fit them on the slide. <laughs> Which is probably wrong, isn't it? Miriam, Sarah, Rahab, Deborah, Hannah, Ruth, Esther, Mary, Mary Magdala, Dorcas, Junior. And it goes on. These women who in the pages of scripture come up and counterculturally. People like Ruth, how little power have you got if you're an asylum seeking woman in the time of the judges? No power, no husband, no family you can count your own. You don't belong here, but God uses you. What's it look like to be a prostitute? Rahab, used in a context where. We don't need to sort of glamorize this. I suspect then and now, nobody particularly chooses that as the life they want to lead. But God uses a prostitute to save his own mission. And God, sort of like in the pages of scripture, continually subverting the way things are around here. Esther in the court, I'm sure, she's got an uncle outside who's encouraging her to take her stand and to be brave and not to be cowed and not to be intimidated. But it's Esther who's in the court who goes, okay, I'll, I'll deal with the king. I'll deal with the king. And so it goes on. Until in Proverbs 31, you get a whole chapter about a woman. And it's a guy writing about a woman, his wife. Says. Absolutely, this woman is a businesswoman. She is respected by the whole community. She's the one who ensures the family are economically sound. She's the one who uh, people say, that family's blessed because of that woman. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. It's kind of like so an extended poem about the dignity of women. Does that mean then that everything's overturned and now instead of God wanting sort of men wanting God to use them, it's now just women and women can do without men. We find it very difficult, don't we, sometimes? But in Christ, our relationships change. Our identity as men or women is not primarily shaped by our culture. It shouldn't be. Like everything, when you come to Jesus, when you accept him, you enter into a kingdom, and the kingdom's not natural. You're learning stuff. You're learning a way of being, and you're being recreated. And everything changes, including our relationships with one another. So in Galatians, when Paul's writing, he says there's not, in Christ, there's not Jew, nor Greek. That's not how we think about one another, God's special people and the rest. There's not slave nor free. That's not how we think anymore. That's not how we judge one another. There's not male or female. That's not how we want to even begin to think about how do we separate ourselves out or judge. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ, our identity has been reshaped. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians... You know, the, the letter to the Corinthians, it's like, there's a, it's an extended letter and the church is in a bit of a, really a bit of a mess. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. And all that's happened is that the church has been really Corinthianized. It's like, they just like people of Corinth. And what Paul's doing all the time is trying to shape them into Jesus. In the 11th chapter, in a, in a passage that I preached about before not too long ago, but it's not the easiest passage to understand what he's doing. He talks about head covering, and uh, it seems to be that what was going on in the church was that um, men and women were both overturning expectations of the wider culture. So um, women were shaving heads, and uh, men were growing their hair long. And even a non-believer would come in and go, "This isn't right." Women were sitting there without. Um, their their headscarves on, and people would have been shocked, even if they'd just come in. And Paul's writing through about what does it look like to be in a context in Corinth. And by the way, I I know that you know I don't believe this, because none of you have got one on. In fact, Tony's the only person who's got his head covered in church. Um, And I think that's okay, too. Um, But I don't think it's got anything to do with 21st century Britain. I I, I know you know that, but I, I need to put my... Hey. but I think it's got everything to do with about this relationship between us I think the equivalent the dynamic equivalent if you want to know what it would look like would have been you'd come to church and men in 21st century men would have been wearing women's clothing and women would have been dressing as men and we would have just been trying to say in Christ we're free I think Paul's going no actually no whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you're taking your freedom far too far but one of the interesting verses is this. In the Lord, woman's not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so as man born of woman, everything comes from God. And it's kind of interesting. That's where one of the places he lands it. Put it just really bluntly. As a bloke, I need women around me. I am poorer if I don't listen. And as women, you're poorer if you've not got good relationships with men. And I know that over time and life and stuff, those get really damaged at times. Because, and I, you know, not all, but some blokes get really, really belittled by women. And they just end up bullied. And some women have been absolutely downtrodden by men. And in Christ, God's trying to do something to say, actually, it's a song we sang before. There's no sorrow that cannot be healed. There's no hurt that cannot be put right. But it does take us together. I'm nearly done, by the way. I'm going to be asking what you're thinking in a minute. And then I'll duck. When when Paul writes to Timothy, a young church leader, he's trying to explain to him how to deal with relationships in the church and the idea that you're going to model something different. So don't rebuke an older man harshly, he says to Timothy. Exhort him as if he's your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. It's kind of like in in the city of Ephesus, which is where he would have written that to. It's kind of like in Ephesus, when you come into this community, you're going to come into a relationship matrix that is really safe. Nobody's going to sort of take advantage of you because you're old. And across the genders, we're not going to hit on one another. It's going to be really a safe place. That's the image that Paul has because we're in Christ. So as I was thinking about this, the idea that Adam and Eve are created to oversee the planet so that children grow and are safe, so that people prosper, so that business thrives, so that God's good creation continues. What does it mean for us? (laughs) When you preach a lot, you become really aware of your own, um, the extent of hypocrisy and the, the opportunity for it. So, for those of you who know me really well, this comes with a lot of sort of like, this is what I would wanna be, then I recognize that sometimes we get this wrong. But I was thinking, and when I started this, I started off with the word I, and then I said, actually, it's not, this is not a cathartic exercise just for me, for you to listen to my problems. <laughs> But I think it is something about the way we. How do we listen to one another? I wonder how that works. How do we talk about the opposite sex? It's easy, isn't it, just to be really flippant and dismissive. How do we talk about them? Are they always stupid? Either way. How do we talk to one another? How do we engage with one another? How do we support one another? And that's not about how do men support women, by the way. That's how do women support men as well? All of this is both ways. How do we try and understand? I don't know about that really. Um, Except I, I, kind of, I kind of suspect that we do think differently at times. Or maybe it's just when blokes get together and we try to understand. We don't understand, but we say it's okay anyway. But how do we try and understand? How do we protect one another? How do we ensure that actually in our relationships with other women around us, as if you're a block, other women at work or other men at work, this isn't just about church stuff. This is actually about creation stuff. How do we ask, ask for help? And how do we offer help? How do we honor one another? How do we rely on one another? And how do we work together? I wonder how it works out in your own place. Some of you will have women bosses, if you're a bloke. And how do you deal with women in that position? And some of you will be women bosses. And how do you deal with men who you have responsibility for? Some of you have got friendships, and some of you are in marriages, and some of you are in families, and all that sort of stuff. And how do we reflect something that's actually radically different than the culture around us, where it's easy even a hundred years after the suffragette, to find ourselves in a passive-aggressive gender war. I'm kind of intrigued, by the way, that Scripture, this ancient text, the Word of God, seen through the eyes of Jesus particularly, just comes and says, well, actually, it can be different around here. It needs to be different around here. For the sake of the world. Do you know, the other I'm going going to finish and I'll finish with this. Um, I think it's possible uh, to have, I think it's possible to have a, a fully egalitarian view of one another and in church and the desire we have for the spirit to use one of us regardless of gender, and yet actually because of our, our sin or our broken heart, our disordered desires actually still be as dismissive of one another you can be in a church that's absolutely says no it doesn't matter if I'm a woman or a man and actually still be dismissive of one another you can still put each other down because 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 you because your heart's disordered because my heart's disordered because it's been broken in some places for some of you for some of you, it's just because of the way you've been brought up, perhaps, or the way you see things, or your natural posture. And, and I, think, um, I think some of the stuff that we've read this morning from the Bible, it's kind of like a reminder. It's not enough to say, I'll sign on to sort of like the accepted view that this is the sort of people we want to be. It's actually about my heart. It's about my heart. And it, you know, and I'm not, I, I, I chose, really determined this morning not to tell silly jokes or do stuff, but it does, sp- it spills out, doesn't it? You know, it spills out when, well, you know where it spills out. It spills out when it's the automatic silly thing of, you know, a driver cuts you up and the man always thinks it's a woman. Stupid driver. There's nothing about that. And and it's my heart that I need to deal with because the mouth is just the overflow. Which perhaps appropriately brings us to communion. And the crucifixion of a man who was not embarrassed when a woman came down and said, uh, you've done everything. And you've changed everything. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And everybody would have been so shocked. I mean, they still would be. But a woman who wasn't afraid of this man. And a man who wasn't afraid of this woman. And we come and in the brokenness of Jesus, we invite him to heal our brokenness. And new families are made. New communities are made. From the cross, John looks down. Up uh, Jesus looks down and says to John, Mary, Jesus' mother. This is your mother now. And Mary, this is your son now. And a new community is born even at the foot of the cross. May it be so.